between yeah, Howie Klein cooking dinner and the herbal uh, immunologist scraping some Petri dish to come up with a vaccine for COVID-19, I can't catch a break on this show. Please welcome the irritable immunologist calling to us from an undisclosed location in San Diego. Hello, irritable. Hey, everybody. Um, I'm still pissed off, but that's the way the cookie crumbles. Yes. Well, we have uh, some of my listeners here who want to ask you some questions. The White House says the daily death toll will reach about 3,000 next month from COVID-19. That's that's what the irritable immunologist has to say. We had uh, we have Helene Olin on the show today from the Washington sure. Post. And she's saying liberals on the coast are looking at Georgia and they're saying, well, this will this will teach them. This will teach them. But Helene says, and I agree with her, we have to root for Georgia and Georgia is actually our future. We cannot shelter in place. Do you think the conversation has been politicized? Do you think that we're not being told the truth about this virus and what we can expect both from a health standpoint and an economic standpoint? I, I think the, the answer to, the, to that would be broadly yes on both points. Uh, I think there's certainly there's a lot of danger in, in terms of communicating things about an entity that is incompletely quantified, right? I mean, this is a this is a SARS part two, but it's it lost twenty percent of the homology with the the original gangster virus there. Uh, so yeah, yeah, I, I think so. The idea behind you know flattening the curve and getting people off the street and out of the gym and uh, into their homes was to provide central authorities time correct to hire contact tracers contact tracers contact tracers contact tracers to ramp up testing so that anybody who needs a test can get it to ramp up ppe stockpiling in the right place so we don't have these kind of nasty peaks that you folks have seen in new york state so it's a speed Um, limit it's an issue of speed limit and they're not really telling us that in other words what they're not telling us is we're probably all going to get this thing the question is how soon and how many I mean, maybe. <laughs> I uh, I hope we don't all get this thing, um, but but we'll see. Um, yeah, I mean, un- unfortunately, the so the oh, and the gentleman in Germany could feel free to chime in on this as well. But in terms of effective herd immunity, that there's some relationship between herd immunity and ease of transmission, right? And so this particular virus. You can acquire very, very, very easily. It seems it spreads very, very rapidly uh, with with very little effort on its part. <laughs> Doctor could say it doesn't make effort since it's a virus, and so the percentage of people that will have to have not just have caught it, but have mounted an effective immune response and have some kind of immunological memory to it will have to be quite high. And there's a lot of evidence to suggest that that may not happen with a significant percentage of the people who actually acquire this, uh, most especially the youngest and least impacted, tend to have the least amount of neutralizing or even um, what do you mean? anybody what, what, what of any do you, I don't understand. Mm-hmm. You're saying that young people will be asymptomatic perhaps, but 
never shake it? So, so sort of the opposite. They are more likely to be asymptomatic, yes. But in the younger the cohort that you look at in terms of people who shake off the disease, the greater the likelihood that they don't have an efficient memory antibody response. So there's this weird inverse relationship. So their body is the disease is their uh-huh. strong. Their body is stronger, so they don't need the antibodies. I mean, potentially, uh, provided the antibody production isn't having coming with potential other negative consequences. Yeah. So it may be that their innate immune system or that they've been previously primed by catching perhaps a seasonal coronavirus and there's some sort of cross reaction there. I don't think that's super likely, although I'd, I'd probably be looking into that avenue of investigation since I believe it may have been, it may have been a German paper. Uh, in oh, so let, let me see if I understand this because this is really important. You're saying that young mm-hmm. people in the prime of their lives can defeat mm-hmm. the coronavirus not with coronavirus antibodies that are specifically designed to take on the coronavirus, but with other types of antibodies or just sheer youth and power. Sure. So it, it would be mostly what you call an innate immune response. So, yeah, there's the younger the patient who's released, the more likely they don't have really high levels of what, what you call neutralizing antibodies. And there's even a significant percentage of those people who don't appear to be mounting an antibody response at all, or at least it's so low it's undetectable. So they so they of, are keeping. Uh-huh. So in other words, they still could have the virus floating inside of them without killing it off, and that makes them more likely to spread it. They've probably cleared it from their system unless it's managed to escape into some really obscure pocket of the body that's uh, so-called immunologically privileged, which could happen. Uh, certainly the testes. <laughs> there's a bit of a uh, blood testes barrier there, and certainly as well as potentially in the eye. Uh, I know the gentleman from Germany is probably aware that you can – oh, there's testing on, on a number of different viruses that can end up um, – and the, the ocular system and can hang out there for after for a period after you would assume the patient has has cleared it. But no, that wasn't what I was saying. What I was saying was that their immune system is sufficiently adept that it can clear the virus without getting to the point of generating an efficient memory response. At least that's what it appears from some of the uh, testing on memory response. Means anti- does that, that means antibodies? Memory response. <laughs> Yeah, so the adaptive immune system is going to involve, yes, the creation of antibodies, which is a typically circulating proteins in the blood, but also uh, secreted, uh, as well as cells, especially T cells. So there's a cell-mediated response and a uh, what you call humoral response. So not it's not funny, but it is a humoral response when something is secreted into the blood. Okay. And so, yeah, memory immunity is, is typically you're going to divide it into two bits. The the cells that are responding, which is the cells that make that antibody, uh, B cells, uh, plasma cells in the bone marrow, as well as T cells, uh, which are helper T cells, CD4 positive, and typically CD8 positive cytotoxic T cells. The latter will destroy infected cells directly, and the former will coordinate things with all of the many other 
uh, cells and systems in the immune system. I want to bring so Henry. Have- I want to bring Henry in, in a second. Uh-huh. What, I want to bring Henry in in a second, and we'll introduce him because he is, uh, as far as this show is concerned, he's an expert on Ebola. And I'd mm-hmm. like to know if they were in a fight, Ebola versus COVID nineteen. We put them in the octagon. Who would win? But we'll get to that in a second. Vice President Mike Pence, when he showed up, a lion of a man, a lion of a man. Gaga. Yes, he he took on the virus without a mask. He showed up at the Mayo Clinic without a mask. Did he do that on purpose? Was he sending a message by doing that? He 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 knew what he was doing, right? What was he saying? By not wearing <laughs> Mike Pence, I, I, I think I think the odds are fifty fifty. He, he knew what he was doing, and or some PR uh, person, either affiliated with him or the president, told him to get his bright, sparkling whites out there as much as possible, so people could identify his face. What was I think his? There's, there's probably easy, even money. <laughs> In all seriousness, you don't think he was aware that he was going without a mask? I mean, he's in charge of the task force. He's fighting off the virus. There's a reason we're getting mixed signals about. Certainly, they're being delivered. I, I don't. I. You could take this as emblematic of, of the overall response. That's fine with me. In this specific case, no idea. I mean, it's Mike Pence, right? The guy completely botched the HIV response in his former home state when he was governor. And now he's, you know, but if you were, I, if, but, I, I okay, but, but if you're, but if you're a leader in say Sweden or yeah. an advisor to Boris Johnson, they would be pushing for the herd immunity, right? They'd be saying, forget the masks. Bring it on. I don't right? think Johnson's, I don't, I don't think Johnson's government is, is taking that tack at all anymore. Anymore. They started out that way. But, yeah, but, but Sweden it, you know. still is. Sweden and some people think they're being successful. Are you sure? Yeah, hard to say at this point. They've certainly got a lot more dead people given their population than their, you know, closest geographic and cultural neighbors, the, the Danes and the, the Norwegians, uh, who have done full lockdown have far fewer deaths. I mean, you know, they have a much more coherent social outlook there. So I guess people probably follow rules and instructions pretty well in Sweden, would be my guess. It's been a long time since I was there. Uh, okay. But relative to here, yeah. <laughs> okay. The scraping sound, you're, you're not cooking the way Howie Klein no. is. You're, you're cooking, a, you're making a vaccine. Uh, Henry? No, no, that was, that was that was scraping some of the heroin from me. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> David, uh, if I may jump onto several of the points that were made already. Yes, sir. Introduce yourself to our listeners and give us quickly your background. So I'm a long-term uh, student, a fifth-year senior at Feldman University. F-U. Uh, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I'm uh, a graduate researcher of Ebola at a lab in Germany, so... I'm not Dr. Henry yet. Hopefully in a couple of years I will be. Uh, and then I can emulate the irritable immunologist, but with Ebola. Can you shoot, more or less can you shoot Botox for my guests and me? We do have botulism <laughs> toxin in our lab, and we make jokes about it sometimes, but that's, that's for one of the Friday Ooh. shows. Somebody okay. can ask about All that. Right, go ahead. What is your question or statement for irritable? So I've got a couple statements that I want to make just to, to clear up a couple of things, and then I'm going to... Um, toss it back to the irritable immunologist. So I just want to clear up for listeners when 
Irritable's talking about innate versus adaptive immune systems. For people that are unaware, we essentially have two main types of immune defenses. So when you're first infected, your body recognizes that there's something that's not part of it within it, but it doesn't necessarily recognize exactly what it is. This happens really quickly. And the first steps that your body takes to fight that uh, foreign invader is called the innate immune system. It's not specific for the specific pathogen that's invaded your system. Wow. These are things like sweating, fever, inflammation, wow. white blood cells attacking, macrophages, neutrophils, degranulating, natural killer cells, etc., etc. Then sometime later, several days later, once your body has recognized what it is, then it activates the adaptive immune system, which is specific for that specific pathogen. So what the irritable immunologist was saying is that young people having a, a very strong immune system are more effective at clearing the infection with just using their innate immune system, which requires less of the adaptive immune system. So I hope that that clears that up. Yeah, that's really fascinating. But I, uh, uh, so, and so you're saying that the innate immune system can kill a virus without the antibodies, just like sometimes or in some cases? Yeah, in some cases, sure. Uh, normally, you'll still have um, innate activation and you'll have then memory that forms after that. But yeah, in, in some cases, your innate immune system might be sufficient to clear infections. Like a fever, for example, it heats up the body to, to kill the virus? So kill the virus, not exactly. Perhaps the, the irritable immunologist would like to get more... Uh, specific on how fever benefits the body, it, it really allows the body to have more of a chance to use its other systems against whatever has invaded rather than doing it directly by itself. But I don't know how relevant that would be to this current conversation, how much time we want to spend on that. Irritable? What? Oh, you know, that, that all that was, that was excellently done. Marvelously yeah. disambiguated rather than just uh some random jackass throwing around $6 terms on the phone. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, that, uh, that, that all sounds pretty good to me. Um, yeah. So what I was attempting to communicate and our, uh, our friend in Germany has, has dramatically, uh, <laughs> enhanced the clarity of what I'm saying is that, yeah, there, there appears to be a patient cohort that can kick this virus out of the house before that cohort starts generating substantial amounts of antibody that are detectable in the blood. Um, and so this may or may not inform their subsequent ability to become infected because the, what I'm calling innate immune system doesn't generate unto itself uh, immunological memory of significance. Although some people would say things about natural killer cells uh, that are a little bit different there, but that's neither here nor there. So, Yes, when you have an uh, adaptive or a, a immune response and you generate a really nice, oh, for the, our purposes, uh, neutralizing antibody peak, that's happening, yeah, well over a week past acquiring the infection. And you are getting some, particularly younger individuals, who appear to be clearing this without generating this really substantial antibody pulse in their blood. And so whether they will be as 
protected the second time around if they're not generating substantial amounts of, of antibody titer in the blood is a good question. Uh, there's a lot of data on, oh, long-term immunity to coronaviruses, and all of that data is that it's crap. Um, particularly the seasonal coronaviruses, there's a number of papers that have been around for years showing the same individuals can be reinfected with these respiratory coronaviruses, sometimes in a single season. Those people do tend to be disproportionately young. Uh, with SARS and MERS, the antibody response also tailed off, but it, it took a couple of years. Yes. Um, can I jump in there for a second? Please. please. Yeah, so uh, these papers that... Irritable is referencing, yeah, they've been around for a while. And uh, for seasonal coronaviruses, the the neutralizing antibodies and the, the memory against that only lasts uh, generally up to five months, which is why, as you said, you can get infected with the exact same coronavirus multiple times within the same year. Whereas SARS, and again, he's absolutely correct, but I'll just nail it down a little bit more specifically, the the immunity lasted for about two to three years, at least to the point where it tailed off, where they didn't believe it would be effective anymore. There's no. There, well, wait a second. There was there was a. You're talking about the antibodies or a vaccine? I thought there was no vaccine. No, no antibodies. Did I say vaccine? I meant no, no, antibodies. no. I just assume, when you say immunity, I would assume. But they no, couldn't no, use because the, you can you can develop immunity just by being infected by something. That's why you always heard about uh, mm-hmm. chicken pox parties, where one kid would have chicken pox, and all of the mothers would send their kids to the party, and everybody would get chicken pox. But there they go; they won't get shingles later. They're mm-hmm. immune to it, even though it wasn't from a vaccine. It's the same method, though, and it, it's like that with a lot of diseases. Smallpox was the same. If somebody survived smallpox, they never were going to get it again. So there there seems to like be that. there seems to be. A lot of young people, I, I read somewhere some Harvard-educated kid is saying, we're, we're going to have COVID-19 parties. Let's just give ourselves this immunity. And sure, then- but enough about Jared Kushner. Right. Well, this was actually at the point that I was going to raise is that if you're not maintaining immunity long term, it's not possible to get herd immunity right. unless everybody's infected like on yep. the same day. But if assuming that we're having a general infection curve where it's spread out over time, by the time the first people have gotten better and the last people are infected, the first people are now susceptible again. So this whole notion of herd immunity is completely unfounded in any of the science that's out so far. I mean, maybe Irritable wants to jump in and talk about how irresponsible it is to be advocating this without any evidence that we're going to have long-term immunity. But yeah, that's my spiel. No, that's, I, I can't help but agree 100% that you, you've hit precisely on the nub of it. Unless you can guarantee that everyone was exposed within a very short window, people who've been previously exposed, their presumably humoral antibody is going to be tailed off within a couple of years. The, the SARS, people were very excited when SARS first came out and I, I was a, a young pup in undergrad. And, you know, after a year, they said, hey, look, this is just great antibody response. Two years later, hey, great antibody response. Year three, oh, crap, half the patients don't have any antibody anymore. But in Five a vaccine, in, so you, in the uh-huh. search for a vaccine, we're not looking for antibodies. We're looking for attenuated viruses that will trick. So, but you're, you're yes, but you're using those things to generate antibodies. So you're trying to 
So yes, that's a little bit important to disambiguate. So people will be generating what's called monoclonal antibodies, mm-hmm. which will be more or less made in a dish and then injected, highly purified, concentrated, and injected into people who have a severe disease. Try to bring the amount of virus in their system down that's by not pulling a vaccine, it out of circulation. That's, that's that's no, that's not a vaccine. That's a treatment. That's not a vaccine. That's exactly so. A vaccine is one step further. Instead of doing it in a dish, you're attempting to inject something, either mRNA, we'll see how that works out, hasn't worked out before, uh, uh, DNA vaccines or bits of the pathogen or an inactivated pathogen or a trick pathogen, the Sinovac and the Oxford attempt uh, uh, are stop a for one second. Viral stop for one second, because Henry was talking about this at the Zoom party, and they, mm. this is really important. Henry, explain what the vaccine is. It's a, as you were explaining it Friday night at our party, you were saying that they inject a, a virus that looks and smells like COVID-19. But it's totally different. Yeah, I'm sorry. So, so there's, there's many different. types of vaccines. I'm sorry. Um, did I get that wrong or is that? Well, you took, you took one type of vaccine uh, as an example, so uh, as I was explaining to people on Friday, there's a bunch of different types of vaccines. There's inactivated vaccines, live attenuated vaccines, subunit vaccines, conjugate vaccines. Um, there's vaccines where they mount parts of one virus onto parts of this. Uh, isn't bubble gum shrimp? Virus. We're not doing. Uh... Yeah, that was what I was kind of trying to get across, though, is that there is a wide variety of vaccines that have a wide variety of actions and that's not even getting into how to increase the action of a vaccine like uh uh oh, i'm drawing a blank on the, on the word on the uh you think an adjuvant adjuvant exactly thank you it's a brain fart um there's there's a whole variety of types of vaccines is what i was trying to get across on friday okay so this virus the virus the vaccine that they think is coming out of oxford i would assume oxford knows everything you just said because they're Oxford. I, I would certainly hope so <laughs> right okay yeah you'd hope so <laughs> a, a, a a vaccine then would not concern itself with whether or not we're developing antibodies for the COVID. it does it does that's that's how you get the immunity so what the, the yeah. goal of the general goal of any kind of vaccine is to trick your body into think that it's being infected by a specific virus. And the goal of that being that your body develops immunity to that by generating antibodies that are specific for the disease that you want it to be specific so, for. So as I understand it, if the antibodies then disappear, you just have to keep getting vaccinated. You probably need boosters, yeah. I mean, that's that's typically the way that it's done for things like, oh, the Tdap, um, tetanus, pertussis, and so forth. Okay, so just There's so also, I just make it simple for somebody st- who's simple like me. You're saying that we don't. We're discovering with the coronavirus that the that the antibodies for it don't stay within the system long enough to develop herd immunity. But if we're from, able to- from a natural infection, yes. Okay. We, but we have, and we have no data like. on vaccines. Okay. Yeah. But <laughs> so if they're able to develop a vaccine that will create the antibodies, right? Mm. 
and they and they seem to be doing that in over at Oxford, then it's just a question of how many shots of that vaccine you have to keep getting over the course of a lifetime. Is that in the neighborhood of right? I would I would personally suspect that yeah you you would probably need to be getting boosters which we do for a number of different vaccines like every two every, years yeah yeah that would be best guess and that's provided that one vaccine design is sufficiently effective and the mutation particularly in the spike protein which is what everybody and their mom is targeting with their vaccines mm-hmm. remains relatively stable in terms of mutation which. It more or less has relative to other parts, uh, or for eleven especially. But so yeah. if, if we do yeah. a regimen, if we can get billions of these vaccines out, it is conceivable that you know you keep getting the boosters every two years. It could be eradicated. Well, yeah, and what I would say about that is, if it was effective, what does Jenny McCarthy say about this, though? And she's probably just sticking her head in the toilet and hoping it'll all end soon, <laughs> um, to be honest with you. But the the big issue that we're going to face is the distribution of a vaccine if we do get one that's effective. Yeah. Because across the planet, there's a lot of places where it's hard to distribute the vaccine. It's also hard to get people to participate in vaccines. So, for example, in Pakistan... The, uh, the the levels of uh, immunization there for polio have dropped off a cliff. And that's because of the U.S., of course. We were pretending to give people polio vaccine when we were looking for Osama bin Laden, and they found out about that. But we that. got him. We, we got we him, got but it. now polio is raging again. Yeah. But, you know, I guess yep. it was worth it in, in that regard. But that's another story. The point yeah. is, is that if you don't immunize everybody at the same time, you're going to have to keep immunizing the people that you can get the vaccine to over and over again, because otherwise it's going to just keep circulating in the population that hasn't been immunized. Indeed. Okay. Let's go to Nicholas in Los Angeles. You have a question for irritable Nicholas. Did I, what did I do? Okay. Oh, can you hear me? Yes. What is your question for Henry or the irritable immunologist? So that's very illuminating on what you're talking about because um, I got tested positive two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And I work at a healthcare facility. Um, and I had, at this point, I don't mind um, sharing this, but. I had no symptoms at all the entire time. Mm. I didn't have a cough. Um, thankfully, my patients that I was working with didn't get, didn't, were, weren't, weren't infected. But, um, but that's the thing I've been, you know, wondering about. It's like, well, I mean, if I didn't get any antibodies or if it just kind of cleared out, am I at risk, you know, for infection again? Because here's what you're talking about that this is, you know, different than like, yeah, like chicken pox. I mean, the, you know, the, the antibodies can wear off if you even develop it. So it, what are the so, chances you had a false positive? That's another question. Was it, I don't know. do you know, do you know what the results to come back? 
Do you know what type of test was done? Was it a serology test, or was it uh, were they doing RT PCR? They were doing the. I don't remember the names. I I've had I I did the throat swab, and then the other okay. day, and then okay. just yesterday, two days ago, I had the the na- the nasal one. But the one that I got tested positive was the throat swab. Here's what I want to do. Here's what I want to do because we got to wrap we got to wrap this up. But I I want Irritable and Henry to come back when we have more time to take more questions. This is probably the most illuminating conversation I'm going to hear on this subject. What are the two tests, the, the throat swab and the nasal swab? You, you use two terms. What are these two tests? So that's the, that's the source of isolation, right? So there's, I mean, they they have sputum as well. I, I think the, the Rutgers spit in a cup test has shown the same sensitivity as doing the nasal pharyngeal swab. But the two different types of tests that I was talking about were RT-PCR, which is amplifying, oh, let's just say the, the virus's genome, which is RNA that gets converted to DNA, and then it's amplified with the RT-PCR reaction. That's uh, very, very specific. And so if that shows up positive, almost certainly that individual has some amount of viral RNA in wherever that sample came from, either nasal pharyngeal in the throat or blood, uh, as well as uh, feces. Uh, Live virus has now been isolated from stool. Uh, The other principal type of test... So don't don't shake hands with anybody's feces is what you're saying. Or don't do what uh, uh, Howie Klein was talking about, Heine Smoocheroos, none of that. Okay, yes. Wow. Yeah, no. Well, there goes no, Sunday. I do that. <laughs> <laughs> wow, goodness, I, I missed out on something. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so so that's, so that it, it's, uh, there's sort of two distinct styles of testing that are happening in terms of looking for the presence of antibody which binds to bits of the virus is typically the serology test that they're doing. There's, there's another way to do that as well. Or looking at the direct genome for the presence of the genome of the virus. So typically the RT-PCR is going to be very, very good in terms of being quite specific, quite accurate. The serology tests, there's been, I think there were like a hundred given emergency approval in the U.S. and a lot of them are, are pretty bad in terms of potentially false positives. I'm not sure about the European situation. Okay, uh, we, have, we have to wrap it up. We have to wrap it up. This hmm. is this is just tremendous. Henry, do you want to explain, just tack on to what Irritable was saying about the types of tests? And No, I mean, I, he did a pretty good explanation. The only thing that I might expand on is uh, just what RT-PCR is, just to break it down a little bit farther. So, as he said, it's looking for the genetic code of the virus. So you're looking for a specific sequence of the code, which that's why it's so specific because we know the exact sequence of the virus and there's nothing else that has that exact sequence. Just like humans have not the exact same sequence as any other species. And what you're doing is you make probes that are looking for this specific sequence and then they amplify it to the level where we can detect it on a machine. That's okay. why there's almost no chance for a false positive. Is there a chance for a false positive? Sure. There's always a possibility for something. But the the, <laughs> the accurate rate would be astronomically high on that because you have a specific target for it. The okay. serology, on the other hand, as he very accurately said, basically just uses antibodies that bind to different parts of the virus 
which since there are so many different coronaviruses and uh, different antibodies have different specificities, that really does allow for uh, cross-reactivity and nonspecific binding. So that's why you would have a higher amount of uh, false positives with a serology assay compared to an RT-PCR. This is great. Uh, I just want to point out that Henry and Irritable are listeners to this show. And it's uh, uh, Irritable predates Zoom. He sent me an angry note and... uh, and we started putting him on and through zoom, I've been able to meet Henry. And so there is some good coming from this, not much, but some good is coming from it. I would like, I can't believe you would say that about Henry. That's, that's just cruel. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> he's doing, he's doing an amazing job. You don't need to talk to me. You could talk to Henry. No, 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 irritable is fantastic. But David, do not let me forget to tell the story about polio vaccinations in Pakistan sometime. That is quite the story. Well, here's what I'd like to do. Here's what I would like to do. I think Henry and irritable are a perfect team because you're polar opposites. I want you to come back for Friday's show. We'll take questions and we'll we will explain the inexplicable. A lot of this is, you know, I don't know any of this stuff. So I'd like you guys to uh, well, I'll contact you after we we finish off here. And I'd like to set up a, uh, a segment and have listeners come and uh, ask you questions. So uh, thank you, Irritable, and thank you, Henry. And, and, and he's, make the Irritable sound. Great job, Henry. Uh, great, job, great job to you, too. Yeah. Everybody stay on the line. Thank you to my listeners. You're all my listeners. I mean, Henry and Irritable are listeners. Stay on the line, everybody. Thank you.